Heavenly Father, there is much in your word that is difficult for us to take in. There are times when we need milk and there are times when we need meat. And we do pray that as your word is open before us that you would give us your bread, that you would give us your word, that our minds would be fixed upon it, that we would not do as many who have gone before have done and say this is a hard understanding, who can receive it. We do pray that we would be receptive to your word this morning. Lord, may we not leave this place offended at Christ. May we rejoice in Christ as the only Saviour of man in this place this morning, we do ask. In Jesus' holy name, Amen. Our eyes are open this morning, not to the book of Jonah, as those paying attention would have recognised. Our eyes are open to the book of John and this sixth chapter of John's Gospel. My sermon title this morning is Jesus, the Rock of Offence. Jesus, the Rock of Offence. In theological college you go through so-called preaching class. I didn't have much time for preaching class because I thought that God called preachers and raised them up, but obviously I was on the outer with the college and their view of those things. But they teach you that you've got to start with some witty little story or a little joke. I am going to start with a story this morning. My story is about myself, not that I want to constantly talk about myself, but I happen to know a little bit about myself by now. And so I want to refer to my younger years, my years as a teenager, and some of young people here are in those years. And my years growing up were quite polite. Everybody was very friendly. I had a wonderful upbringing. My parents didn't abuse me in any way, although I tried to electrocute myself several times and burn down the house and injure myself riding bicycles and motorbikes. But the Lord sustained me through all of that. Throughout my schooling, we had scripture class. Many of you had similar schooling, I'm sure. And in my case, there was a, a wonderful, very well-meaning elderly lady who would come along weekly and during primary school and she would share with us various lessons from the life of Christ and the teaching of the Bible. And then I was privileged enough, don't hold this against me, to go to a private Anglican school. My parents thought that this was a good place to send me, not because they were religious in any way, shape or form, but this school was very polite. There were mainly Anglo-Saxon people there and so it was safe for a young man like me. I was very, very small and so I was susceptible to be bullied. So they sent me to this nice, polite Anglican school and I went along and every week we had so-called Christian development. I find this interesting considering I wasn't a Christian, but I was taught as being a Christian. So we had Christian development and we had once a week a chapel service. And at the time in my life, at this time in Western history, worship had changed greatly. They had started introducing a lot of instrumentation into the music and there was a rise of a particular denomination in the Hills District. I'm not going to name the name of that denomination, but there was a rise of a certain type of Christianity. And this Christianity was driving throughout the so-called Bible Belt Hills District where I lived. And it basically was this. God loves you, he has a wonderful plan for your life, he doesn't want you to go to hell, so Jesus died for your sins, you need to accept Jesus into your heart, 
and God will love you and everything will be wonderful for you. Perhaps you should start a business, God will bless your business and you will live happily ever after like it is in the fairy tales. And that's pretty much what I got throughout my schooling. Four years of high school. Jesus loves you, God loves you, he wants you to be happy, you're doing a few little naughty things, you should stop doing that and you should follow Jesus. But there wasn't much preaching of God's word. There wasn't even much teaching of God's word. There were a few verses here and there that would be regurgitated constantly in a vain repetition. And I knew when to say amen at the right time. And I knew that there was an index in the front of my Bible that if I really got stuck I could turn to and find where they were looking for passages in the Bible. But it was very rare that these things really hindered me. Religion had just been become very polite. We were, the majority of us were Anglo-Saxon and so we could smile and say amen and we could sing nice little happy clappy songs to Jesus and everybody left smiling politely and went about their business. And we believed that God was blessing us because we lived in nice homes and we drove nice cars and everything was wonderful. The problem started for me later on in life when I started drinking and smoking and partying and all these things and I started racing motorcycles and I realised that life wasn't actually like what these people had told me. That life was hard and that even when I prayed and even when I read God's words, things didn't necessarily get better. Actually, they got worse, especially when I read God's word. And so here we come to John chapter 6 this morning. Christ, the rock of offence. And you know what had happened in the, 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 the visual church in my day was that they had removed Christ from the church. Now these well-meaning people would say, no, 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 John, we never did this, you're being very harsh. No, no, we never did that. No, what they did was present Christ in a new light. Nothing's changed today. This is the broad majority of people who proclaim to be Christians. It can be found in probably 95% of churches across our nation. That is that we present Christ in a certain light and he is not the Christ of Scripture. We strip back all of these offences and we just present a Christ who is not the biblical Christ. And you know why we do this? Because we want results. We are result motivated. We work for a wage, which is a good thing, and if we work harder, perhaps we get paid more. But in the Western world, we like to work less and get paid more. But we like results. We're result-driven. I'm no different. But my Saviour was very different. Because here when we strip back all the pleasantness, so many times what we see in Scripture were the prophets who offended people. Prophets who stood up and who didn't say, God loves you all and has a wonderful plan for your life. You've just done a few naughty things. They didn't do that. They stood up and they said that God hates your wickedness and that you need to repent. Sometimes they didn't even include the repentance. They just dealt with God's pure judgment upon a sinful people. And in the West we have this witty little saying, Oh, God hates the sin but loves the sinner. Rubbish. God hates the sinner and he hates the sin. There is a difference. But we've made everything very polite. You see, the preachers who I listened to, the people who got up and led chapel services, they never did what I did. They never raised their voice. They told all the witty little stories and they played Simpsons uh, movies on the projectors and told us some nice little things that would help us out in life, which actually didn't. 
but they didn't teach us the Bible. And so when I come to read the Bible for myself, I was greatly offended because the Jesus whom I had in my mind was not the Christ who is revealed in Scripture. And so the church can strip back all of these things today and have all these pleasant things, but at the heart of the Gospel is Christ. As I told the boys this morning, Christ is the foundation stone, the cornerstone. And he is the offence. And so we who are results driven need to get this through our thick heads today. We need to understand that we can present a false Christ however we like, but ultimately when people read God's word, they will see the true Christ. And so there are so many times when my Saviour preached that he upset people. Don't ever forget the offence of Christ. That's what I want you to see clearly this morning. We saw it with Jonah. We saw him being offended at what he had to do. We saw him trying to run from God, but he couldn't. Don't ever forget the offence of Christ being tried as a mere common criminal and being hung on a Roman cross. It is the heart of the Gospel. You can strip back everything you like, but at some point people will read God's word and they will see this. And you know what these people then do? They then say, oh no, look, the apostles were a bit crackers, they were a bit delusional, they, these things didn't actually happen. They just put this in to scare people. And so they start then to strip away God's word and they start to say, well, this is in, this is out. I drove past a local uniting church near where I live and they had a sign up at the front reading, Jesus loves you. How wonderful. I thought, how wonderful for all these people who hate God, driving to work, seeing this absolute rubbish. Jesus loves me. They start driving along the road and they think, of course Jesus loves me. Jesus must love me because he's made in my image and I'm lovable. We don't see this in scripture particularly when it comes to the teachings of Christ here in John chapter 6. Here we have him in the synagogue, and here we have him being greatly offensive. Here he is telling the Jews about their prophet Moses. Here he is saying, you know what, you guys are looking to Moses. Now obviously I'm paraphrasing. You guys are looking to him, but you know what, he didn't actually feed you. It was my heavenly Father. It was my heavenly Father who fed you the manna in the wilderness and you were looking to Moses and look where it got our forefathers. Look where these people are today. They're dead. But he says, no, 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 no. Forget about Moses, in a sense. Me. He says, I'm the one who came down from heaven. You see how offensive this would have been to these people? They looked to Moses, he brought them the law, he led them, he did all these great things and then Christ comes along and says, forget that, I'm here now. Now you will look to me. I am the one who is true food and true drink. Forget about what came before in a sense, it's about me. I am the one who has come down from heaven. Greatly offensive. It was offensive then and it's exactly the same offence it is caused today. What's that? That is the eternality of Christ. To say that Christ is eternal is offensive. Why? Because we're so educated in the West today that we know that man doesn't live forever. 
We know that man just came from apes and monkeys. That's what we believe. That's what they teach us in school. You weren't made in the image of God. You came from an ape or a monkey. And it's all by pure chance. Everything's by just random accident. And we've risen above all of this. We're doing really well for ourselves. Christ caused a great offence when he started to say that he came down from heaven, that he was the Son of God. It was greatly offensive. It's offensive now also. Many will have the babe in the manger. Many will be happy to celebrate Christmas, but they're not happy to deal with the resurrection. They're not happy dealing with the eternal state of Christ. No, 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 no. We can accept a babe in a manger because we love babies, but that's as far as we go. And don't think it's isolated to the world because this sort of teaching can be found in the church. We've risen above all these things. We don't need to deal with the offence of Christ. We just have a polite religion where we say God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Everything's terrific. Jesus says in verse 25 of John chapter 6, Most assuredly I say to you that the hour is coming and now is, sorry, forgive me, I'm reading the wrong passage there. Jesus said in verse 38 of John chapter 6, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Greatly offensive. Greatly offensive that Christ says that he has been sent for a purpose, and then that Christ tells the Jews that he will save them. Not Moses, not any of the prophets who have come before, that the man standing in front of them will be the one who delivers them at their judgment. That it can't be found in their good works, that it can't be found in the keeping of their covenants, that it can't be found in their feasts, that it can't be found in anything other than him. The church talks about the quest for the historical Jesus. They don't like this though. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. He repeats this several times in his teachings in the synagogue. And then we're told that he leaves the synagogue, that he goes out among the people, and that all of a sudden there is a great multitude following him. We see this happening throughout his ministry. He attracts so many people. He feeds the 5,000. He does miraculous works. Those who cannot walk all of a sudden take up their beds and walk. The blind see. He does all of these miraculous things and people follow him. But when his teaching comes, they start to murmur. Verse 60. Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? This is the same in churches today. It's exactly the same what happens many times when I go and preach these things in churches because they have reduced Christianity into a polite little story about a mythical God who does not exist. 
a God who they've made in their own image. And when it comes to God's word, they've pushed it aside so far that it has nothing to do with their faith. Their faith is based upon a false God and a false Christ who is not offensive in any way. But here we see Christ going to the Jews and preaching to them these things that they found offensive and then leaving them and we're told several times that they tried to kill him for doing this. Why did they try and kill him? Because they hated him. They hated him because of what he had taught them. They didn't want the difficult things. They wanted things to be easy. They wanted things to be polite where they could smile and they could have cups of tea after the service or whatever they did then and everybody shook one of one another's hand and they could say the nice religious little things and then they could go on their polite merry way. It's the same what we've done in the West in the church today. And when somebody comes along and preaches the truth, they hate that person. When someone comes along and draws these things out, they say, well, you're just isolating passages of Scripture. You're just pulling out these verses that we find offensive. No, it's on every passage of Scripture. We reveal that Christ is the only way of salvation and that God is in complete control of that. Verse 60, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard or a difficult saying. Who can understand it? That is, who can accept it or receive it? Why did they say this? Because they understood what he was saying. They were offended by what he was saying. That salvation could come through no other means but by him. Greatly offensive. And who's offended here? We're told in God's word, disciples. Those who have followed after Christ for a period of time. Those perhaps who have eaten of the loaves and of the fishes. Those who have perhaps seen the miracles of Christ. They're the ones who are offended. So-called disciples, followers of Christ, who are offended even today at the preaching of Christ. Followers, so-called followers of Christ. They're offended when these things are brought out from Scripture. Why? Because it doesn't fit into the mould that they've made for themselves. This view that says God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life, it doesn't fit into that. When Jesus knew in himself, verse 61, that his disciples complained or murmured about this, he said to them, does this offend you? Does this teaching of mine cause you to stumble? Rather harsh. Rather harsh for Christ to turn to these people and say this. You know what would happen if a man said these things in the church today? He'd be removed. If a missionary went out and said these things today, the mission society would ask for his resignation. He's not to be doing these things. He's to be welcoming everybody. He's to be there with open arms. I'm not sure if you've ever seen this painting of Christ where Christ is knocking on a door and the door is the door of your heart and there is no doorknob on Christ's side but there is a doorknob on the inside for you to open and let him in. Complete nonsense. But that's the view that the church has today. They say, no, 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 you are in control of these things. But here Christ tells us, does this offend you? Does this teaching of mine cause you to stumble? And then he continues on, verse 62. What then if you should see the Son of Man 
ascend to where he was before. It is the flesh who gives life, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe and who would betray him. He knew it all. He wasn't looking down the corridors of time. He's the Word made flesh. The Blessed Trinity, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit predetermined all things and at this point in time these people would come to be offended at the teaching of Christ. They would follow him for a period of time and then they would understand quite clearly what he was telling them. That it was him who gave life. That the Spirit proceeds from the Father and from the Son and therefore the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one and therefore it is him who gives life, not any other. He says, if you're offended at this, imagine how you will be offended when you see me ascend to where I was before in all of my glory. You see, you can start to strip back all of these things, but somewhere along the line, so-called followers of Christ will become offended when they learn the truth of Christ, when they learn that their good works are not going to lead them to heaven, that it is the work of Christ and Christ alone that can purchase anyone's salvation. It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. He says, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. The Apostle tells us that the man born in Adam, that is the man or the woman or the child born, is born into sin. Not only that, but they cannot, get this, they cannot understand the things of God because it is impossible for them to. Why? Because by birth, by default, Every son and daughter of Adam hates God. That's the setting. That's why these people were offended. They hadn't been changed by the Spirit and therefore they hated God. And this is the same with so-called, many so-called followers of Christ today. This is why they're removing Christ from the church. This is why they won't have men come and preach the truth. They just want to hear nice little stories. That's what it's come to. It's not about Christ any longer. It's about making people comfortable on their journey through life because we all know that life is hard. So if you come to many of these assemblies that are held throughout our nation, we know that life is hard and we've just come to make your journey a little bit comfortable. We don't know about death and hell or any of these things. We've done away with all those things, but we do know that you've got to live for maybe 80 or 90 years and so we're going to make your life more comfortable. We'll come along, you come along every week and we'll tell you some nice little stories, some poetry, some high thought, and you'll live life more comfortably. We'll do away with the Bible because this is causing us offence and who on earth would believe it? That's what's happened in many so-called Christian churches. That's what's taking place. Jesus says, does this offend you? Does his teaching offend you about who he is? Not who he was, but who he is? Therefore I have said to you, verse 65, he says, that no man can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Well, that's not what many preachers say today. No, 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 you're all welcome to come to Christ. Come to Christ now, you don't want to go to hell, it's awful. That's in fact if the preacher even mentions Christ because that's not good for business. We want people to come along and hear nice little stories, so we'll do away with hell also. 
But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Are you offended because of this? Because I've told you that you can't come to me unless it's been granted that is preordained by my heavenly Father? Verse 66. From that time many of his disciples went back, or that is went away, and walked with him no more. Here they are. They have seen the things that he has done. But then when they finally understand exactly what he is saying, they're gone. It's all over. You know, in the youth groups that I attended as a child, never once was I taught any of these things. We just heard about a few miracles of Christ. We heard about how lovely he was. We didn't hear anything like this. We were told, come along every week, we love having you here. I only went when there was 10-pin bowling or ice skating or something good on that suited me. But come along and if you say the right things at the right time and if you show certain skills, we'll make you a leader. It will be wonderful. We'll have certain competitions and contests you can go in and we'll go on camps together and we'll all just have a polite, lovely, merry time. We didn't hear anything about this. Therefore I have said to you, said Christ, that no man can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. And from that time many of these so-called disciples turned and went away offended. Why? Because they may have been following Christ for a time, but when they realised that it was nothing to do with them and all of him, it was all too much. We're all happy to be doing things. We love doing things and we love having rewards and so therefore we think if we come along and we do things at the right time and say the right time, say the right things, we'll be rewarded. I remember one young man telling me, he said, I'm done with church. He said, I'm done with Christianity. He said, I've tried those things. He said, they don't work. He said, I went along and he said, I took part in a Bible study once or twice a week. I even led Bible studies. He said, I had a prayer meeting, did all of these things. And he said, you know what? I'm sick of that. He said, God didn't bless me in the slightest. He said, my life's quite difficult. He said, I'm not going to sit by and let those things happen. I gave everything to him. And he said, I got nothing. He said, I'm finished with the church. That's the end of it. Why? Because never once did he hear these words. Never once did he hear the offence of Christ being preached. Never once did he hear that Christ is all. That you cannot save yourself in any way, shape or form and that it is all about Christ and the whole purpose of your life is to glorify him. Nothing of yourself you can bring to your salvation. It's all of him. And so he turned, so-called, from Christ and then he went away and he would tell people, oh, I used to be a Christian. And this was the case with so many people I met in the suburb I grew up in. That is, I, I tried that, it didn't work. And so therefore Christianity is fake, it doesn't work, end of story. I'll move on to the next thing. Jesus said to them who were left, verse 67, the twelve, do you also want to go away? I just wonder if you're here today and you're hearing these things and they are really grating on you and you're rejoicing that I won't be back next week, but I pray that your pastor preaches something that's offensive also. But you might be rejoicing, thinking this will be over in just a little while. I won't have to listen to this guy anymore. I can come in next week. I can do the things I've always done. I can live quite comfortably. 
I pray that you can't. Jesus asked the twelve who were left, will you also go away? This is a very important question that every one of us will answer at some point in our lives. It may be today, it may be in ten years, it may be just before we die. But will you also go away, he said. All of these people who are gathered together, all of a sudden, when they are offended by him, they're prepared to flee. But one speaks up by the grace of God, verse 68. Simon Peter, who's belittled by many preachers today. Simon Peter speaks up and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is the voice of the true Christian. This is the one who has seen the offence in Christ, who has had the work of the Spirit applied to their heart, has been born again by the grace of God, and who can now profess and confess that there is no other, that it is all of Christ and his word, and that he is the Saviour. Remember when Christ asked the apostles, he says, who do men say that I am? And they reply and they say, some say the prophet, some say John the Baptist. And he turns to Peter and he says, but who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, that is, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father has. You know, you can strip back all of the politeness and you can do all these things. You can make everything polite in Christianity. But at some point, the offence of Christ will come out. At some point, it will. God's word will shine through and people will be offended. They try to destroy preachers, you know, church members. They try and destroy ministers of the truth of God's word. Many well-meaning so-called people try and do this. They try and pull preachers aside and say, you mustn't preach these things. Let's not deal with the sovereignty of God. It's too much for people to bear. What if one of my friends came in and they would be greatly offended to think that they didn't have a free will? They start to make phone calls behind ministers' backs and they start to work out how they can get rid of that man who preaches things that are offensive. They get fired from mission societies. They get outed from Bible colleges and theological colleges because they're not good for the look of the place. Christ wants men and women who are prepared to confess him before the waiting world, who are not prepared to walk away, who are prepared to say these words as the Apostle said. You alone, Lord Jesus, have the words of eternal life. No other could we go to. Salvation is in you and of you. There is no other. We are not offended by you, but we rejoice in you. Why? Because in you we live and we move and we have our being. Because in you we have our very life. Jesus said to those twelve who were gathered there, who were left, verse 70, Did I not choose you? 
the twelve, and one of you is a devil. Very sobering words. Here is the confession of Christ as to, uh, 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 from Peter as to who Christ is. And then all of a sudden he's saying to them, one of you is a devil. That is that he knew who would betray him. It was predestined by his heavenly father. And that he reveals this to them. Very offensive. That Christ would say to just the mere twelve who were left after so many who had followed him for a time, one of you is a devil who ultimately is seeking to destroy you and I chose you. Absolutely astounding that the Lord Jesus Christ would put up with this. But he said this for a purpose and for a reason and he is teaching us today that there are those even who will masquerade as Christians who hate the gospel. That there are those who will not even go away at the offence of Christ, who will become good loyal church members, who may be very faithful attenders of the church, but ultimately hate Christ. That is what is being revealed here. Here are the very twelve chosen ones whom Christ has chosen for a purpose, and here he reveals that one of them is seeking to destroy him. And it's exactly the same today. You know, a few years ago they spoke of the faceless men of the Labour Party. Don't worry about them in political parties. There's faceless men and women of churches who I said before who are making phone calls about sermons that have been preached, who are gossiping about the preacher behind his back and are saying these things. I don't think this is happening here. I pray it's not. But this is what takes place. It takes place everywhere where sinners are gathered. Somebody is seeking to undermine Christ. It happens in the world and it happens particularly in the church. Here was Judas who didn't go away offended, still willing to undermine Christ and to have him destroyed. Here he is gathered with them and Christ says that he chose him. He chose him for this very purpose. And today he chooses people who will even become church members who will seek to undermine the church. Don't think it's by accident that these people come along. It's for a purpose. God is using every person for his glory and for his purpose. You can keep stripping back the gospel. You can keep making it politer and politer. But at some point there is a great offence. You may be trying to do this as you sit here today. You may be doing it teaching a youth group or you may be doing it teaching scripture in schools or you may be doing it at a prayer meeting or in a Bible study or any number of places. You might be trying to tell colleagues at work about how wonderful Christ is and you may be trying to push aside the offence of Christ. It will not work. If you lead anybody so called to Christ and he is not the Christ of Scripture, it will fall apart. Somewhere along the line, a person, whether being led by Christ truly or falsely, will come to see the offence of Christ. You can wrap it all up in a nice new shiny wrapping, but the foundation of the gospel is Christ. God's word says that he lays this foundation and that it is a stumbling block. 
Don't think you can remove it, brethren. Don't think that your religion should just be polite and smiles all round and happy clappy songs about Jesus. You cannot remove the offence of Christ from Christianity. It is absolutely impossible. The pre-existence of Christ, the eternality of Christ, the eternal sonship of Christ, the sinless life of Christ, all of these things are offensive. The ascension of Christ, the ongoing kingship and ruling of Christ, the coming judgment of Christ, the return of Christ, all of these things are offensive. You cannot wrap it up in a new fresh wrapper and make it all polite. It is not. It is not polite in any way, shape or form. If you're trying to make it polite, it's because you're doing it in the flesh and not in the spirit. Those who are working in the spirit by the grace of God understand this clearly. That those born who are sons and daughters of Adam cannot, will not, it is absolutely impossible for them to believe these things. It is only by the grace of a sovereign God that they can come to believe this. I just wonder today if you will leave this service being offended and if you will just continue on your merry way being offended. Or if you will rejoice and confess with the preacher today and with the apostle who became who came so long ago and say when they look upon Christ that Christ is all in all. That it is in Christ that I have life. That I can't dress this up any other way. That Christ is the great offender of the world, but that Christ is my beloved Saviour. I pray that as you leave this place that you will be encouraged by these words of the apostles, that you will be encouraged by the words of Christ, and that you will see not the offence committed here, but you will see Christ in his fullness. That you will see him being revealed word upon word, line upon line in God's word. That you will see that what is being revealed here is not a great offence. That by God's grace that you will see what is revealed here is the glorious gospel. The good news of sins forgiven and the hope in Christ. Salvation in him alone and no other. Don't be as Judas was. Don't just go along with it and then betray Christ. Don't go along with it and say, well, I agree with some of what the preacher said this morning. I'm going to join the church. I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to do these things. Don't do it. It's better for you to do as many of those disciples did and go away completely than to stay there and betray Christ. Don't be offended at Christ. Rejoice in Christ. I pray that if there's one thing you've got from my preaching over the past five weeks, that it is only in Christ that the Christian has glory. That it is only in him and in him alone that the Christian is to live. We're not to do things our own way. We're not to do things under our own motivation. We're to do it in and of him. We need to be fueled by his word and by his grace through the work of the Holy Spirit. We need to cry out to him at all points and not just when we're down but when we're up also and we need to praise him for where he has us this very moment. Regardless of the difficulties we're going through, we need to rejoice and we need to cry out to God and praise him that he has saved us from our wretched sin. 
I pray that you will do this, brethren, with me this morning. I pray that you rejoice in the works of our Saviour and that you rejoice what is revealed in his word. Let us pray. Almighty God, we see so much of the West in disarray. We see people who think they know better than you, who may be well-meaning, but who are doing things in the flesh. We do pray, Father, that you would do a mighty work amongst this nation, amongst the Western world. You would encourage church leaders to repent. You would encourage them to stop with shows and entertainment and trying to entertain goats rather than feed sheep. We pray that you would raise up men who would fear you more than they would men. We pray that you would give men and women courage and boldness to stand as the days continue to wax evil. We pray for the unsaved among us, whether in this congregation or our friends or our neighbours or our relatives. We pray that you would give us boldness to speak the truth, to reveal the offence of Christ and not to wrap things up as you would not have us do. We pray that you would equip us according to your will and through your word to be men and women who are honourable and faithful soldiers in the battle that Christ has already won and that he has placed us in. Pray, Father, that you would forgive us for the times when we not do these things, when we do things our own way. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon our nation, we do ask. Be gracious to us. We ask again all these things in the precious name of Christ, the only Saviour of man. In his name. Amen.